Hello, listeners. Welcome to the new season of Are You Really Living podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Donkinson Rousseau. Mr. Rousseau is a survivor from the horrific earthquake that took place in Haiti back in January 12, 2010. Mr. Rousseau is a registered nurse. Most of his experiences has been in psychiatric, telemetry, and intensive care. He has been working in the mental health field for the past 10 years. He is currently in his senior year of psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner at Nova Southern University. Let's welcome our host, Mr. Enrio Longchamp, and our guest, Mr. Donkinson Rousseau. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Are You Really Living? Today's guest is Mr. Duckinson Russo. Mr. Duckinson, how are you today? Hey, Mr. Longchamp. I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I want to welcome you to Are You Really Living to our new season because you're the first guest for season two. So welcome. The main reason I have you here today, I do know you survived the earthquake back in January 12, 2010 in Haiti. I wanted to talk to you about this moment. To start, how did your life change after January 12, 2010? Well, I definitely take a drastic, a drastic change because, uh, uh, well, I knew I was going to live here, but it kind of like, uh, after happened, I'll say five days later, I was in the United States in a whole new country, like a whole new system, a whole new culture, which I know, like I've been coming here since I was little, but I suppose like to live and you have to go to high school, I have to adapt, I have to go by the system, you got to go to school. So it did kind of like, uh, it did, you know change a lot for me that I was not ready at the moment but hey you know you gotta overcome everything so uh that's what I did when it happened I was 17 um I'll say one thing it does change my life or way it changed my life is like I'll say that's when I realized we're not here in this country to like state not this country sorry and the world to state at any time like everything can just you can just lose everything you can lose your life you can't no matter like no matter where you are, you can't escape it. Because, well, no, like, I had a lot of friends. I seen a lot of things, even giving PTSD afterwards, that I didn't know that was PTSD. It was afterwards when I get to the mental health field. I realized, damn, I did suffer mental health from that. So that's when I realized life is short and we have to enjoy life. And like this podcast name is, it's still all you really living. So since then, I always make it, I always make it a priority to, like, enjoy life because you never know. Now, where where were you when it happened? I was in Portland Plains. I was in high school. I remember I was I was in a basketball team. We were supposed to stay for practice. And that day, I was like, I'm not going to stay because, uh be honest, I, I did have a date. I wanted to go home early so I could go on my date. And I, that's what I did. I left. I went home early, got dressed, and went to my date. It wasn't really a date, but I had to, like, see this girl I was talking to. And I was talking outside and all, all of a sudden everything starts shaking. And it was something that we never experienced. We never seen. Well, nobody, we don't know what, what is that earthquake. Everything starts shaking, like the whole world uh, or the whole country. And then literally 30 seconds later after it finished, I think the earthquake lasts a minute, something like 40. It, was, it lasted, it seemed like it was a poor eternity. Like you'd go at it nonstop. And then it was dust everywhere. You just couldn't see. Uh, I thought at that time I was in Port-au-Prince. I thought it was just, you know, just an earthquake. And I went home, checked my house. I was down the street from my house. Everything was good. My little sister, because I was the oldest at the house at that time, I think. And I told them, yeah, just get back in the house. So, you know, it's nothing. It was just, and it's a little earthquake. 
And then I went back to the house. Well, I went back on my date and it started shaking. It was the aftermath. And it kept going. The aftermath kept going for like days. And we were sleeping in the street. Not on the street, but on the yard outside. Thank God it didn't rain. Nobody goes in the house. Uh, I would go outside, see like houses collapse everywhere. There was rivers of blood like I've seen. Yeah, um, you know, at that time, I didn't really know what mental health was. Even when I came here, uh, after I came here, like, three months later, which is, you know, basically, I ain't trying to be psyched, but if you look at the DSM-5, I did meet all the criteria. Like, after a certain amount of time, I was having dreams, nightmares about it, but I didn't tell nobody. I didn't tell nobody. I don't know. So, so, so at that time, why didn't you feel like you needed to speak to someone about it? I didn't thought, like, I didn't thought it was, you know, like I said, like after when I get to, you know, the feel I'm in now, I'm looking, I'm like, wow, I did suffer from PTSD. And it kind of went away on its own. I didn't, I would, what would happen was more like I would have nightmares. Like I would see there's an earthquake and then I would wake, find myself waking up at night shaking. Like I would, you know, like there's an earthquake, like I'm shaking. But then I would wake up the next day watching the news, see what was the earthquake? Nobody talk about it. I didn't know what it was at the time. Like one thing about mental health was people from the island, they don't believe in that. And I think later on, you know, we'll probably talk about mental health. I'll tell you why. But we, not we don't believe in it. We didn't know. We don't know what mental health was. I didn't know it was a problem. Did you lose any friends, classmates, teachers? Yeah, I did. Um... Yeah, the basketball team, the school collapsed because I went a few days at, like, yeah, everybody who stayed, which I don't know who, because there was no communication. By the time they reestablished communication in the country, I was already out the country. So, yes, uh, most of them, unfortunately, uh, did pass. Uh, I never get to see some. Would be later on, like on Facebook, I was like, oh, hey, you know, we reconnect to Facebook. And I would ask, hey, what happened to so-and-so, so-and-so? They're like, oh, yeah, he's gone. Oh, he made it and passed after or some they never found. As far as, like, um, all my family were here anyway. Um, it was mostly friends from high school. I know. A lot of them. Do you believe if you didn't have that date, possibly you probably would not have been here? Definitely. Not possibly, definitely, because the way I went to the school just to kind of like see what's going on, it was literally, it wasn't a hill. It was literally, there was nothing left. The director or the owner, or she was the daughter of the owner at that time. I think she became the owner. Uh, she was in school, you know, doing late work. She did pass too. Between the school, there was two big buildings. They all collapsed on the school, and the school collapsed and fell behind. It was yeah, I definitely wouldn't. Unless I got lucky, which I don't know. We never know what, you know, miracles could happen. But as far as I, if it wasn't for that date, I guess you can see the girl kind of see my life. <laughs> well, I don't know who you're dating now, but do you still talk to that person that kind of saved lo- your life the way you put it? No. I don't think we've paid, since I left Haiti, I don't think we've, because we were just starting. It wasn't, you know, we, was, we were just met probably like, probably was our first or second date or something like that. So I didn't really, we didn't really establish like a big connection. After I, when I moved here, like I said, you know, after the upgrade, there was no communication. The the cell phone didn't work. There was no internet, nothing. And by the time I came here, because I, I would guess at that time, if you were, you were a citizen, which I was, a real citizen, you just go to the embassy and they just put you on a military plane, drop you here. They dropped me in Orlando. Thank God I had family in Orlando. When they drop you here, just like drop you here, you in the country, <laughs> they don't, you know, you're on your own. So I had family here, they can pick me up, and then they flew me to Connecticut, which is where I like went to high school and graduate and finish everything. 
than going to Florida. But yeah, they if you are a US citizen, you just go there. If you're underage, like around twelve, you can kinda of have someone who's they don't know your parents here, nothing. But they take you, they drop you here, and that's it. If you have no family or your family live in California, then you have no money. Well, I don't know if it was exactly like that because I had family here. When they dropped me, they just picked me up because I don't think they, you know, they, they picked me up and then that was it. Like whoever was in, whatever, them people in the plane, I don't know what happened to them. But as far as I'm seeing, they didn't give us no instruction. And it was also a long time ago. That was what, 2010? That was like 20, 14 years ago. That's 14 years. Your story is fascinating, you know, um, the survival part to it. But you saw a lot of death. Do you think that many people that experienced that earthquake back in 2010, do you think they have gotten the treatment in terms of mental health that they needed? Everybody is different, but not. Um, when I came here, there was a couple other survivors. Uh, we didn't, as far as I know, nobody went to see a mental a counselor or anybody. And even I, like, like I said, I was going through it. I didn't know what it was. I just thought, oh, I was just me having dream. And also, there was something I had to get used to. Like, let's say I go to a parking lot. Oh, yeah. In Florida, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of land. So the parking lot is like a lot outside. But up there, up north, there's a lot of buildings because it get hot, cold. A lot of time when the car is driving in there, it's shaking. And I would like have anxiety going there. But I didn't tell nobody. I had no idea there was such thing. Is now, you know, when I study it, I'm like, wow, I did suffer from PTSD, which it can go away on its own. Now, it depends on what kind of trauma it was, and it did went away on its own. Now, because I studied it, I'm like, wow, I did suffer from PTSD, and I didn't even know. Yeah, because it was very traumatic, because nobody was, yeah. you ever thought that something like that could happen yeah. in Haiti, it, you know? Yeah, it's not that too, like, as far as the mental health part in Haiti. They don't, I would say not, they don't believe in that, but they don't know about it. Nobody, it's not, nobody educate us on that. In Haiti, when there's somebody with, now, you know, I see, I'm like, oh, that person that was in the street, neighbor next door, he saw that from schizophrenia, and we didn't even know. We thought it was just normal for him to be in the street, go crazy. Let me know that person has some mental health, needs some medication, hospitalization. We just, we didn't know. We, we didn't know. So we just, I just kept it to myself. I just, you know, wake up, go to school, study, do what I got to do, watch TV, play video games. I never tell nobody, oh, that's what would happen. I would I, I would wake up in the morning and ask uh, my cousins, like, was there an earthquake last night? Or there was an earthquake? Something. But I look around, nobody talking about it. Even when I be in the parking lot, like the parking is shaking. And I look around, it's like everybody just all by their business. I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to. Because it's a new culture, too. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to follow what other people are doing. It seemed like they just going by their business. So I'm like, I guess I should go by my own business, too. So that's what I did. So uh, after you moved here at 17, how were you able to pick up the language? Was there a difficulty? And how were you able to overcome um, that barrier? Well, about me, I I was born here. I was born actually in Connecticut. And then a uh, little, I went to Haiti, which I grew up there. I went to high school there. Um, grew up till I was 17. But every summer, I would come here in the U.S. and spend it with my cousin. I remember in 2004, you know, Haiti, unfortunately, always has some problems. Uh, I came in here and I couldn't go back because of, you know, government. There was riots and stuff, so I couldn't go back. So I ended up staying here for six months. Uh, during that six months, I didn't go to school. You know, I was just watching TV every day, wake up. But, you know, you're young. I was 12 years old. Uh, I picked up English just like that. I wasn't like as good as it is today. 
but I knew English. So when I came here in the U.S., they actually put me in regular English with the, they put me in English 101 and I felt like I didn't belong there. And I asked them to, you know, put me back. Like I, I went, I did the class, I passed it. I got an A and, you know, I barely, I, but I felt like I didn't know English, but I did. I just feel like I didn't know. So I needed a class back. So they put me back. I asked the counselor, like, can you put me in Esau? Yes, that's what they call them up there. Like when you're learning uh, the language. She was like, why? You on 101 and you're doing good. You're passing. I'm like, nah, I don't feel like I'm ready. And yeah, in 11th grade, they put me back. Esau, which was a mistake because I was like, what? Wait, this is kindergarten stuff. So I stayed anyway because it was an easy class. I just go there to sleep. Uh, I passed. But then my senior year, I had to take like multiple English class. So I could meet the requirement and pass. Um, so picking up English wasn't bad because I kind of knew it. I knew, I knew, what, you know, I was pretty, I was pretty good. I could have a good conversation, this conversation. I could listen, watch a movie and understand everything they said. So adapting was not a problem. Like I said, I used to come here since I was little, but you know, still you have to actually change. Yeah. Cause it was not only the language, the culture as well. Now, um, you are in into the mental field, uh, mental health field. Do you think it was because of the trauma you experienced uh, during the earthquake that drove you to go into that field, or it's just a passion you happen to have? Or how did you get into the field? I got to the field. It was all by mistake. I still didn't know what mental health was until um, I got to a little bit of financial crisis. I had a nice little job, you know, and I lost it. I just bought a car. I'm like, wow, I need to get a job real quick. And my brother, who was, you know, a nursing, he, he um, was doing his clinicals there. And he's like a big guy. So they hire him because they need big guy in the mental health. So they hire him as a mental health technician first, like as a tech, you know, like this kind of like security guys, but not really. But he shortly become a nurse athlete. And then I was like, yo, I need a job. Can you hook me up something? You know, real fast. He was like, oh, yeah, my job, you know, they need big guys that can take care of the, you know, mental health people. Sometimes they're unpredictable. So they got me, he got me in there. I just, so that's why I always say mental health choose me. So I just happened when I'm in there that I like it. You know, it was, I found it, it was very entertaining. It was uh, entertaining. That was the number one, number one. You know, I liked it. It was entertaining. But I don't understand what it was. It was interesting. It was fascinating, complex. It was simple and complex at the same time. So I found myself loving it and trying to learn about it more. I was like, let me pursue a career in it. And that's what, that's why I ended up in mental health. So I started, I went to the nursing school. Uh, I would become a psych nurse. Now, you know, the more I go to school, the more I learn about it. Now I'm in, in peace school. I almost done. And I know even more about it. And I was like, wow, that's something so important. And especially my people. Asian people, Caribbean people, uh, have no knowledge about it, but it's something that's very important that can have an effect on a lot of even like medical conditions and create medical conditions. Yeah, I fell in love with it after I got in there and I start, you know, start learning, but I didn't go to mental health because I was like, oh, I want to do mental health. Uh, I did went to nursing though because of mental health. I didn't get to the mental health field. Or the health, the health field, I didn't get into. I got in it by accident. But I think I, when I went, I went to a specialty directly to mental health. And I fell in love with mental health. And I was like, let me continue with that. So that's how I get in the field. How important is mental health within the Black and Caribbean community? It's very, 
is very important. First, mental health is good for is important for everybody though. But in the you know the Caribbean, we don't have the knowledge. We're not educated in mental health. As far as the the one who grew up in the islands, I suppose my or at least my island. Like I said, when I came here, I had no idea with mental health. Like even as a matter of fact, even the medical. It's a lot of Asian will tell you when somebody just died. <laughs> they say, I don't know if, I don't know how to translate it in English, but they say they eat up, you know? <laughs> you, you probably know about it. But, you know, as I get in the mental field, I mean, well, the health field, because I did medical work too as well. And I'm like, wow, somebody, you could be, you could wake up, I can, like one minute you can be good, the next minute you never know what could happen. But mental health, and especially also in like men, is very important because um, from what I've observed in the United States, I feel like, yeah, mental health is important, but society don't see mental health as important. They say it's important, but I suppose to men, they might see, but they don't really show it because, you know, us men, you know, they say whatever you're going through, you're supposed to be like strong, you're supposed to be uh, able to do everything. Like, but they don't realize we're also human. We have emotions. We have weaknesses. And one thing I noticed as men, when they show sign of, you know, those kind of signs, they show it as a weakness. They see it like it's a weakness. So a lot of stuff when happening, what ends up happening. And us men, we knows that too. We knows that. And we can't really express it for, we can't really express it. I cannot put it. We can't really express how we feel because I say people are going to see it as, as a sign of weakness or, or they might listen to you at the moment and then they just, you know, if you keep talking about it or they might be like, you just got to deal with it. Because I've dealt with mental health too before in the past and I see, you know, when I try to talk to some, when I try to talk to someone, they will listen to words. So, you know, and after that, just be like, got to deal with it and move on. Be a man, you know. Uh, what ends up happening, a lot of men, you know, they do, they go deal with it their own way. Some, they express aggression. Some, they have anger issues. They have some suicide. Uh, that's why suicides, like, it's like women, but what I study is women trying to commit it more, but men are more successful. How about it? So I'm women, suicide and stuff. And also to more men do drugs because they can't, they don't give him male importance, uh, male um, mental health importance. So it is very important in the male in the male community and the Caribbean community, I wish people would give more Okay, understood. Do, do you have any future plans to open your own practice and cater to serving the mental mentally ill? Yeah, of course. I, at the end of the day, that's um that's the goal. To level, especially as a black man, I'd like to have my own practice because I'd be serving to everyone. And not just mental health. I would like to have like a big group, like to open, to open like a, a big, uh, like a big group where you can basically have any kind of, uh, any health problem you have, any, anything that needs to be done, we can take care of it like a big outpatient. Um, I know a couple of them ready, uh, even though that one I know it mostly focus on mental health, but they actually do medical. So in the future, in the past, in a, in a few years, that's the goal. But do you have a time limit? Did, did you get, did you give yourself a time frame in terms of when you will open it, or you just have that plan and you're working on it slowly? Uh, the time frame be more when I get comfortable, because even you know you graduate in 
And that's why as doctors, they have to go to four-year residency. And that's four years of them. Be, they are doctors. They're practicing, but there's a doctor that kind of like reviews everything. They're practicing under a doctor. And as practitioners, we have to practice under a doctor. Uh, even for mental health, well, for mental health is worse because it's a family nurse practitioner. I think after a certain amount of time or a certain amount of hours, you can practice independently. But for mental health, we're not there yet. We always need a doctor. So as far as opening a practice, I would like time frame will be, I'll say a good two, between three to five years. But like at that time, that's when I would be really comfortable. And, no, like the more experience, the better. That's when I'll deal with all kinds, even though I've been in the mental health for like uh, almost 10 years now, because I was a tech and I did the nursing part. Now, this is a, even though it's still mental health, but it's a, I have different responsibilities. Now, I will have different responsibilities. So I still want to take my time. Like, I don't want to open up business, you know, like, it's not like I'm seeing the money or trying to get the money, but I want to know what I'm doing. I want to be comfortable. So as of right now, you are a nurse as well. Does How is it, you know, being a, a male nurse working in a field that is dominated by women? Obviously, there's pros and cons. The pros of being a, a, a male nurse in there is, uh, well, you do work with a lot of people, which is, which is good because I look at it. Uh, everyone like you because you're kind of like different. Everyone want to work with you. You are very in high demand, I'll say. Uh, whenever a male nurse working with unit has changed the whole environment. It's just, you know, everybody come together. Like we bring people together. So they like us when we come here. And I noticed also too, as a mother, they treat you with more respect. Like, you know, the people in the field, they, they treat you with more respect. Uh, the cons of being a male nurse, now that believe it or not, there's a few of it. Uh, number one thing, they think you are the strongest in the unit. So 400 pound people, they called you to come lift it. Like, you lifting all day. People call you every day. Can you lift me? Do it. Can you help me do this? Can you help me? I can't lift it. Like, you know, it's like, another thing is, they, they will stick you for a doctor. That's like, oh, you're male. You shouldn't be a nurse or something. They're like, oh, doctor, such, so. That's a such, such. Uh, another one, which happened to me quite a lot, but that happened depends on the department I'm working. When I work in mental health, you know, it doesn't really matter. The more male nurses, the better. But when I work, I work like the med search floor. I work the ICU floor. Uh, a lot of time, believe it or not, it happened mostly with the people from the islands, like the older women. They're like, oh, I don't want a male nurse. I want a male nurse because, you know, it seems like I get tired and all that. A couple of times that I've worked that I had to switch assignment because just the patient don't feel comfortable with me because, you know, I got to do my assessment. Certain things, you know part of the job I have to do. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen for a few times. They're like, oh, I don't want, they, you know, I would call the director and be like, hey, you don't want me, they want a female. I want that also, as far as the male part can be a cool. It's just certain things I kind of don't want to do. So I just be like, hey, I go to the one by hey, can you help me with something? She's not comfortable with me doing it. And I let them do it. Yeah, there was and cons to it. Absolutely. Everything pretty much in live there is pros and cons. Yeah. Now, um, as we are coming up to the closing, my question to you is, who's your hero? Who are you do who do you consider to be a hero to you or you look up to? Uh, I would say my mom. Because uh well my mom, if 
if you know today I can say, okay, I'm a nurse practitioner, but it's because my little sister, or all of us, my little sister can be like, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor. It's because of my mom, because our father passed away when I was little, and she she basically raised us by herself, and she gave us everything we need. Uh, she never had to ask nobody. She's, I mean, she's, and she did it. She's pretty successful about it. I, I mean, she's pretty successful with it. Well, she's just never stopped. She never stopped. I wish she would enjoy her life a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you know, she does what makes her happy. Uh, she's a hardworking woman. She's she's uh, she's an amazing person. She's very loving. Uh, I say my mom is my hero. Uh, I looked up to other people, but she is number one. Every time before I do something stupid, I think about her like, you know, your mom worked hard to get you to that point. What would she think? What would she do? So yeah, she's my hero, which she is in town now. So I get to spend some time with her. Uh, yeah, that's number one Well, that's perfect. I'm glad you mentioned her onto the podcast. You gave her her flowers. So definitely have her listen to this episode so she can understand how much you care and admire her. She don't speak English. Well, you got to translate. Yeah, I might have to translate for her as well. Yeah. Yeah. Are they in part? Now, if you could change Haiti, how would you go about it? Uh, Haiti Haiti has, oh man, where do I start now? I'm thinking about it. Haiti got like, I would change Haiti. I would change the mindset of the people if I could, trying to educate, because Haiti has so many problems. It's like you don't even know where to start. Education is definitely a big factor. Because just like I told you, I didn't really know about the mental health. Um, There's a, a lot of stuff we don't know about. It's, it's a lot. The list, it's like, the list is, goes on and on and on. Uh, Definitely start by changing the mindset and see how they are actually destroying the country. The country could have been a much, much better place if they all could work together. Because even if you, let's say right now, let's say, let's say Haiti has a money problem. You send the money to Haiti, it's going to be gone because their mindset, they don't have the capacity to make it work, you know, to come together and do something. They all, everybody want, everybody want a piece of something for themselves. Uh, if I could change, yeah, try to just, just the mindset of people. I think that's what holding Haiti back. It's, but you know, unfortunately that that's like something only God can do to change the mindset of the people like that. But that's what we need, a miracle, basically. Well, it will happen I'm together. I'll hopefully, hopefully, because I do want to go back to my country and enjoy. Because uh, you know, taking vacation in other countries where I want to go to my country and actually invest in my country, but I can't. But instead of thinking about investing in somebody else's country, I can invest in my country and make it much better. But I can't because you go invest there, you gonna lose your investment. That's another topic for somebody, another day. Some, yeah, somebody gonna come thinking it's theirs. Or they're just going to be like, well, you can't come here. Like, I like that. I take it. It just, and they can. The government can. Like, not just the government. Anybody can just come and claim their stuff. And if you don't want to give them, they'll hurt you. It's a problem. It's a mindset. It's a problem. And I agree with you. It's the mindset. Well, I would like to thank you so much for stopping by and giving us a great perspective in terms of your experience during the earthquake and how you overcame, became who you are today. So thank you so much for stopping by. Anything else before we close? No, I want to thank you for having me in the podcast. Uh, I had a good time. Yeah, I don't really do podcasts. It's like my first podcast. So uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for stopping by. And I look forward to speaking with you again. All right. No problem. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to the Are You Really Living podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. And most importantly, keep living your best life. Please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.